Welcome to Evergreen Conversations, a space where we're trying to lift the curtain about what churches do, feel, and think about. We want to welcome you into the conversations that we have here on a day-to-day and week-to-week basis. We believe church isn't a building or a service, but it's a group of people, and having hard conversations is something that makes us uniquely human. So we hope you can relate to some of the struggles that we have. We hope that you're asking some of the same questions that we are, and that this can be a space that feels welcoming, helpful, and inclusive. Uh, Today, we are going to have a conversation about rest and what healthy rest looks like and what sabbaticals should look like and what the Sabbath um, should be for all of us. Um, Joining me today are two people who have a unique relationship with rest, specifically recently. Um, On my left is the fearless leader of our youth ministries at Evergreen Ministries. Um, She is my office mate, so I've been lonely for a few months. Um, And she just yesterday returned from her three-month sabbatical that uh, she was given after 10 years at Evergreen. It's Laura Mail. Laura, how are you doing? I'm doing great. It's good to see you again, Kyle. That's incredible. It's incredible (laughs) stuff to be back together. I missed you. Uh, And on my right is a good friend of mine who uh, nine months ago uh, officiated my wedding and is the director of operations at Evergreen Ministries. Um, It is Adam Locker, a man who uh, is in charge of giving us all rest, managing all of our rest, and empowering us all to rest. Adam, how are you doing? Um, I'm good. Uh, that's a heck of a responsibility all of a sudden, it feels like. It is. You get to put me to sleep and read me a bedtime story. Uh, what a gift it is to be your friend. Uh, my name is Kyle. I am uh, hosting this conversation this afternoon. Um, I am the 7th and 8th grade ministry director at Evergreen Ministries. Um, before we begin to talk about Sabbath and rest, I would like to ask you guys a quick question. Um, we're going to talk about some rest today, but I would like to talk about some specific physical sleep um, with our opening question today. So my question to you is, when you wake up in the middle of the night, when you just can't get back to sleep, when you have to reset, what is the move for you? Because mine is I get out of bed, I go sit by the TV, and I sit straight up watch tv i can't lounge i can't like be on the side i have to be straight up and then watch tv and as soon as i have the urge to tilt or as soon as i have the urge to like be horizontal i go back in my bed and that gets me back to sleep so adam do you have a strategy for that do you have a Uh, my first strategy is i do my best not to move I, i like have to convince myself not to fidget uh the only thing I will generally do is I will grab my phone and I'll immediately open my notes and I'll start to just unload my brain onto uh, a the notes app. And so it's like, how do I remember this tomorrow? How do I take care of it? And how do I forget about it? How do I allow myself to let my let it go? So you think a lot of the times this lack of sleep is because of the things you're thinking about for the next day? No doubt. That's, that is definitely the thing that keeps me up at night. I, I find that I don't have any problem falling asleep. That's an easy one for me. But if I wake up in the middle of the night, I really struggle going back to sleep. That's incredible. Laura, what about you? What do you got? So pretty much the only time that I have to wake up in the middle of the night is because I have to pee. <laughs> So I go pee. It's incredible. I am realizing now that I am unique (laughs) in the fact that I'm super incapable of getting to sleep on time or in a healthy way. Incredible stuff. Uh, We're learning new things about ourselves every day, aren't we? Um, So let's get into this conversation about um, Sabbath and sabbaticals and how to rest healthily. Um, Adam, you are the director of operations here. You are the person who... Um, kind of enables us to take sabbaticals when unnecessary. You kind of are the manager of our vacations. You have kind of uh, been on the front lines of developing a strategy to 
give us like figure out how our weekends work and how our like rhythms of a staff together uh, work. Um, what is the thought process for you as a manager of people and someone who has taken a sabbatical? What was it four years ago? Yep, three and a half years ago. Um, what is that process for you and what is that thought process of why sabbaticals are important to you um, in the context of the workforce and then specifically in ministry work? Sure. I think I think that there's two particular things that need to be focused on when identifying the value of a sabbatical. One is the personal impact. Two is the professional and organizational impact. The personal impact of a sabbatical is pretty easy to talk about, pretty easy to sell, because who wouldn't want to take three months off to reorient their life and, and really kind of reset? The, the question that everyone has is, why should an organization, or in our case, a church, invest that type of money into somebody? And I think that one of the things that's really important for me is to get people to understand that that is a worthwhile investment. Because I think too often it's like, hey, if your hands aren't bleeding, you're not working. And when that mentality comes into the workforce, when that mentality even as something that we wrestle with ourselves, we struggle to find, we, we struggle to give ourselves permission to rest. And so uh, when I think of the, the kind of personal need for a sabbatical, uh, there's very few times in your life that you can, you can essentially get paid to be unemployed. And you hear stories all the time about people who are unemployed and uh, they find ways to, like they really experience uh, life in a new way, and that completely changes the trajectory of what they're doing. Um, that comes with a lot of risk and a lot of challenge when you're not getting a regular paycheck. Uh, I, I like to think of sabbaticals as a way to like, take away a lot of the fear of um, money and paying bills and different life responsibilities and really focus. allow yourself to create space to focus on yourself. And the reorienting that happens... Uh, it goes three different ways. Uh, one is physical, right? We, we start to learn that we are more than the things we do. And uh, the, the second is mental. Um, I, I think that too often we misplace our anxieties to different spots of our life. And so what I found is that when I was on sabbatical, I was, I came into sabbatical week one thinking like, man, finally, I'm away from this job that is putting so much pressure on me that gives me so many responsibilities and is wrecking my ability to rest in a healthy way. And in the first week, I'm home, I'm thinking, how in the world did I have 40 plus hours a week to work in the midst of a family that was super busy, um, super overcommitted, uh, and start to realize that a lot of the things that I blamed on Evergreen uh, for my lack of mental health was was actually misplaced, and a lot of it had to do with my family's schedule and my personal uh, rhythms of life as well. And then the third thing that gets reoriented personally during a sabbatical uh, is our, our spiritual life. I think that I think that's important. It's important for everyone, uh, but it's particularly important for people who are leading in a church to really s start to reset or reorient um, what what is actually going on, who is actually doing the work, what we're doing the work for, and um, and as we start to realize and, and let go of work, we start to realize that God's doing some incredible stuff through us, and we need to do a better job at getting in line with that work um, 
in ways that I think too often when we're just in the in the busyness of it, uh, we start to misattribute a lot of our accomplishments to ourselves and not how God is working through us. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, especially like the habits thing. Like I think it's super important to just have a time, even not in just sabbatical, but in any sort of like prolonged period of absence, even if that's like a weekend, to like figure out what things you aren't capable of doing because you think it's because of your work and then to start to do them when you're not in the midst of your work and then when you come back to work you're like oh I want to I want to continue to whether that's go to the gym or read more or like do any other hobby it's like oh this is giving me life why don't I do it instead of thinking when I get home from work I'm burned out and I don't want to do the things like read or go to the gym it's like oh actually you find spaces where that can be energy providing and sometimes people think that that's oh it's just going to drain me I want to want to go home and take a nap and obviously that differs whether you have kids or a family or you're single or you're married without kids in different stages of life but I think to understand even like habits that you do with your kids or with your family it's important to take time to figure out that those things are valuable to you so then you can do them in the midst of your work not instead of your work that's exactly right. I think one of the things that I realized right away when I was on sabbatical is that um, it was it was a healthy it was a helpful jolt into what does rest look like for me, and I immediately realized that I do not need a three month sabbatical to create healthy rhythms of rest. And I felt actually really empowered to do exactly those things after I came back, thinking, oh, "Man, I'm not going to have offered a sabbatical for another five years, and if I just..." totally burn myself out for five years relying on another three-month sabbatical, that doesn't seem healthy at all. And the the takeaway was exactly that. It was, it was recognizing that I can experience rest in regular rhythms, and if I can do that regularly, um, the need for a big three months off uh, is not as necessary uh, on a regular basis. So, Laura, you just had one person who has never taken a sabbatical and one person who hasn't taken a sabbatical in three and a half years tell you what a sabbatical is, <laughs> which seems irresponsible. So do you agree with that? Do you think you were able to do a lot of those things, reset a lot of your life rhythms, uh, create new habits that you wanted to create? Um, or was it kind of just for you a let's take a breather and see what happens sort of situation? I think it was actually a little bit of both. Um, no one really sets up for you what a sabbatical is supposed to look like. There's no magical formula <laughs> that's out there. Um, just kind of like Sabbath rest, there's not a one size fits all. Um, and so finding what that was for me um, took a little bit of time. Um, I was a little different than Adam. I didn't feel so burned and run into the ground um, running into my sabbatical. Um, I actually walked away feeling really like at peace. I had a lot of trust in the staff who I left my ministries in. Um, that's a good, that's well-placed trust. That, thank you. Way. You're welcome. Um, <laughs> Kyle, who did it all. Oh, and Michaeline, do not miss Michaeline. Michaeline did most of it. Yeah. <laughs> so it was, it was a different experience for me in the sense that I am someone who has a to-do list. And I, I even remember on my first day of sabbatical, getting up in the morning, sitting down at the table, I had my coffee, I had my Bible, I had my journal, I had my note cards, and I was going to read and write and um, study. And I realized I was already, again, creating a to-do list for myself 
on my sabbatical. And when God was just calling me, you just need to rest. What does it look like to rest? And so that time away was really good for me in the sense that I needed to understand what rest looked like. Um, I needed to understand the difference between what a Sabbath is from just a day off. Um, That was a big thing. A day off for me used to be running ragged and really it was just getting my unpaid work done and (laughs) realizing that God's calling rest in there. I think another piece of what Adam was talking about is being able to understand that if we create healthy rhythms of rest currently in our lives weekly, um, we don't, it's not as necessary for a three month sabbatical. He's right. Um, I was just thinking, you know, one of the questions we had talked about is why is it important specifically in the context of ministry? And um, I think for us as leaders, we need to be emulating that and mimicking it and modeling it. And we, um, I think are probably the worst. (laughs) If you ask our spouses and and friends, we're probably the worst at actually doing that. And so, um, for, for me, that was what I needed to learn on my sabbatical, um, to be able to step back in. Um, I also realized that what I stepped back into was my unhealthy rhythms. And so (laughs) I need to sit down and really look at my schedule and, and figure out how to put better healthy um, checks and balances in in my work week yeah and I think a lot of that like hard uh, thought process behind ministry and like rest becomes from this cultural mandate or not mandate but just like this cultural phenomenon of finding our identity even Jason said this this morning about what we produce and what we have and those things are inextricably linked Um, but so often ministry people can get this like snooty oh look at these corporate world people who are running themselves ragged trying to chase whatever um but we are probably worse at it than anybody of like thinking that our value lies in the people that we can change like just because our desires are quote unquote noble means that we're we should be capable and we should have the desire to run ourselves into the ground and to produce uh like just to have a uh, an output that people can look at and be proud of instead of kind of taking like a patient approach to ministry and relationships and stuff. Because I think all three of us in this room are doers and Adam has an MBA. So we are uniquely aware of the like the culture of production that sometimes we get to push away from ourselves when in reality we are really like acknowledging it and living into it in a way that is more unhealthy than some people who aren't in ministry. So what do you like, what do you guys feel about that in your jobs? Yeah, I I think that for me, I have started to realize that a lack of rest often represents a lack of trust in God. And I really, I really started to experience that. One of my favorite verses for my whole life since I started reading the Bible um, was Isaiah forty-one ten. It says, "So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I'll strengthen you and help you. I'll uphold you with my righteous right hand." I, I think that I, I had to think of how do I live into that truth. Um, you know, Kyle, you and I have helped with the ARC project uh, over for a, for a few years, for a long time actually, and we're at the ARC project, we're teaching people to surf, and we're teaching people water safety, and I, I think of this a lot where when we're teaching people how to float, you, you teach someone how to float, and they're laying on their back in the water, you kind of have your hands as, as a guide on their back, um, and you're trying to encourage them to stick their 
uh, belly up in the air as high as they can, put their chin up, put their arms straight out, and really start to allow the water to hold them. And there's this point when you're teaching someone to float where you can feel that they're actually floating. And so what you do is you slowly take your hand away from their back. And what happens uh, nine times out of ten is that kid who's trying to learn how to float, they don't need your hand there. Um, The water is holding them. But the moment that they don't feel your hand, they start to flail around and they start to... Uh, they start to go underwater. And what happens is uh, they aren't able to stay above water because what they're trying to do is keep themselves up above water themselves when all they really needed to do was continue to float, to continue to trust that the water would hold them. And I think it's the same thing with our spiritual lives. I think that so often we try to produce so hard and we are we just go, go, go and try harder and try harder. And what we fail to realize is that the work that we're doing is actually pushing us further away from what God's trying to do through us. Um, and what we should be doing is just kind of trusting in that space of, of floating, uh, you could say, with, uh, with whatever the will of God is for our lives. I, I think that one of the challenges... Um, dealing with this expectation of production for specifically church workers, ministry, people in ministry, is for us in the church, there is uh, a real assumption. Uh, It's often joked about, but it's a real assumption that we only work on Sundays. And when the fundamental understanding of the work of church workers is that they only work on Sundays— it's a constant uphill battle to prove that we produce more than what is seen on Sunday mornings. And so I feel like we're automatically, as church workers, at a disadvantage uh, of proving ourselves that we are actually producing beyond Sunday mornings. And I think that really takes a greater toll than we've acknowledged uh, on on unhealthy rhythm of, of rest. And then if you're a youth pastor, you get the summers off too. Right. Yeah, <laughs> so we yeah, we've just gotten pushed even further. I think I agree with that in the sense that um, one of the things that was really hard for me walking away was realizing that my identity felt like it changed while I was on sabbatical. I wasn't in youth pastor mode. And and that was um, hard because I, I knew things that were happening that needed to be done and I didn't have to do them anymore. And it was nice to, you know, we we talk about all the different hats we wear, right? Um, for me, the hat that I needed to understand the most was that first and foremost, this is going to sound so churchy, I am a child of God. And that that had to trump me being a youth pastor and being all to my students and to my leaders. It had to trump being the best wife that I can be to make sure food's on the table or whatever for my husband and, you know, laundry's done, all that stuff. That, that, that had to trump it. And that... That was a big piece for me, I guess, that I learned in my sabbatical when it came to I'm not what I produce because because I I'm a I'm a child of God. I am I'm a being, not a doing. Yeah, there's like there's a bunch of incredible women that I know that are mothers and that are wives and that like love being both of those things so much. But they sometimes and sorry, I shouldn't have said women. I, I people like people that find their identity in parenthood. People who find their identity in uh, being a spouse. People who find their identity in things that are intrinsically important and incredible gifts, but still don't take the time to understand what they love uniquely or what they love independently from their spouses or from their kids. And 
I think rest is an incredible part of figuring out what that looks like for you. And I think it's harder to get rest when you have kids run around, when you have uh, a spouse to uh, be faithful and uh, like responsible to. But we don't, I don't think that gets to be the first thing that we throw away, right? I don't think we get to go, um, okay, it's my work, it's my spouse, it's my, ho- my hobbies is probably in- included in this, but it's my work, it's my spouse, and then if there's any, and my kids, if there's any time left over, that's when I get to find out who I am. And if the Lord says we are first and foremost uniquely uh, children of God that deserve to be uh, just cared for, loved, and feel a ton of joy, I think we have to start thinking about that differently. Like, how do we primarily understand ourselves as deserving of joy and then let everything else kind of live into that instead of the other way around? One of the challenges, you're you're exactly right, because in ministry, so much energy is focused on relational interpersonal ministry. And so there's a lot of giving, there's a lot of caring that when we are not reciprocating that with personal rest and personal care, uh, it's no wonder people get burnt out in ministry. I think you're exactly right. Laura, we have a different sort of situation a little bit than Adam. Adam has a, Adam is a director of worship and operations at Evergreen. So I think he goes home on Sunday and says, the last five hours, the two services, I, that was my, that's what I produced, right? Adam plays music, Adam helps us plan everything, Adam uh, does a lot of things on those mornings, and he does a lot of work. But our, our production, our output, our results are a lot different than that, right? We are mm-hmm. a very, like, people, relationship-focused, trajectory-based output. Like, how do you... How do you, because I still struggle with this, how do you allow yourself to, this is going to sound like a bad thing, how do you just not care about your students for a day? Like, and I, because I struggle with that too, like, there's always a day when I could be text a kid and say, hey, do you want to hang out? There's always a day when I know a kid's struggling. There's never a day where I wake up and say, all of my 7th and 8th grade kids are fine. None of them need anything. Right. There's, there will never be that day as long as I live. So how do you, specifically with high school kids, you have more of them. They have, they probably deal with more, like internal difficult stuff. The middle school kids. How do you turn off from that? And how did you specifically on your sabbatical? Yeah, I was gonna say trying to do that for one day is different than trying to do it for three months. Um, we we have, um, I guess, with my students, I have done. They know. <laughs> they know that I, I um, try and protect that day, especially those who do summer internship with me. We talk about these kind of rhythms all the time. And so a lot of my students know that they can text me and there's a certain point in the evening where I'm probably not going to respond. Um, so even, you know, at like 10 o'clock, that's really when I kind of step away from my phone. Um, and, you know, there are times during the evening where I I do need to connect with them. Um, but they also, if you can build, <laughs> this is the great thing about having a team. Um, not all my students are coming to me. They're coming to my amazing leaders, right? And so I have a team of leaders who is who is dispersing that. So I'm not taking on 90 kids. I'm taking on 12. Um, and they're each taking on 12. You know, it's, it's a different kind of, um, yeah, it, it's the Jesus disciple effect going on where we can just multiply that out. Um, Walking away from students for that 24-hour period, um, I guess I don't want to say walking away, but shutting down, 
Um, there are times where I, it's hard. You got to, I, I stop and I just, you know, if, if someone's in the hospital, I'm probably going to, I'm probably going to step up. <laughs> um, if there is a kid who is brokenhearted about, um, not making a sports team, I'm probably going to let that one sit. So, um, part of it is discerning a little bit or, or maybe if I see something, I will pass it along to a leader and say, Hey, you can handle this one. Um, that's the nice part about being with a team. Um, so I, I don't know that I really have great rhythms of it yet too. I think that's, you know, I still am digging my hands in there and I, it's hard to release them because, you know, like they know, I call them my kids, they're my kids, they're my family. And so part of that is really hard when it's a relational piece. Um, it's easier when I worked at Herman Miller, it was easy to clock out and be done. You know, I, I didn't have, I didn't have the computer in front of me to do the job that I needed. But when we have such a socially connected, um, society and, you know, we can text and it's, it's hard to step away. Um, and I'm still learning that. I'm still learning how to figure that out. Yeah. I think the thing about a three month sabbatical, I feel like, is it kind of exposes the, the small, uh, hard to like see and understand, uh, aspects of rest that we struggle with. But if you stretch it out over three months, you kind of go through these phases, right? Laura, I feel like we talked about this kind of process that you went through a little bit where you kind of started out with some guilt. Like, I hope no one at the office hates me for leaving and leaving them with my work, leaving them with my stuff, leaving them with my students. And then after that, you kind of get the, after the initial guilt goes away, you get this kind of uh, anxiety of I hope everything's getting done. I hope Kyle and Michaeline aren't ruining what I've cared so much about and created for so long. Um, and then finally, after a little bit uh, of time doing that, or a lot of time, depending on who you are, who you've spoken to, um, <laughs> actual rest starts to happen. Right? You start to get the hang of this. You start to enjoy the kind of silence, and you enjoy the empty space where you get to kind of create. Uh, whatever your life looks like. And then it kind of comes back to the anxiety part of, oh, I got to go back soon. Oh, here's the things I should do to be ready when I come back. Here's the things that I uh, am worried about when I get back, whether that's interpersonally, professionally, logistically. Um, I think the first one's guilt. Like, how do you think guilt and that big uh, chunk of guilt, not big chunk, but like that extended period of guilt that you felt leaving us for three months on your sabbatical, do you think both of you, do you, do you feel guilt day to day? Do you feel guilt weekend to weekend? Do you feel guilt on vacations and that sort of rest? Like what do you guys, how do you guys deal with that? This one for me, the guilt process was not about stepping away because I knew that that was needed and I knew that it was necessary. It was more the burden that I was leaving on people who already had full-time work. Like they had to take my full-time work and divide it between the team and say, all right, you're going to just pile on this extra stuff. And, and to, to put that, I mean, that was almost the opposite of what I'm trying to explain for people to do by coming back and figuring out how to do healthy rhythms of rest. And so by taking a sabbatical, I'm like, here, have my work because I'm going to go rest. And so that was the guilt more that I was feeling. I trusted my team. I have a, you know, we've hired an amazing team here at Evergreen and I trusted what you guys were doing 100%. Um, it was the burden that I felt I was placing on you. That was the guilt that I carried for sure. I think for me, I, I, I love, I love doing my job. 
I love leading and I love being available to help come up with solutions. And I, I, I just, I love it. And so I think one of the challenges that I have in that guilt is that I'm letting people down. Um, when I go away, I want, I, I constantly have this feeling of, do they know I still care? Do they know I'll still fight for them? Do they know, like, there's this, this, I put on myself this pressure of my identity, my work identity relies on availability and that doesn't fit well with needing to rest and disconnect. And so my guilt is definitely a, I want to be a leader by example. Um, and when we're only focused on what we produce and not what we produced, produce and how we rest, um, I think that becomes really challenging. And I, I think that is why part of leading by example is leading by how I rest, how I disconnect, and how I respect that when I, when other people rest, leave, go on vacation, um, am I calling them? Am I expecting them to be available to me? Am I expecting them to answer questions or am I empowering them to rest well? And I think that that is something that I have really learned now as a, in organizational leadership, uh, since I've been on a sabbatical is I need to do a better job at not just leading by the way I produce, but also leading by the way that I rest. Yeah. And I think this, there's this kind of thing that happens where you want to just, it's, it would be easier to rest if you could just tell everyone what you're doing all the time. Right. <laughs> I mean, for me, it's like, it's scary sometimes because in ministry and in a lot of jobs, like no one is like, over your shoulder babysitting you, right? And unless there's someone that does that, no one will know how when you deserve to rest, when you need to rest, when that time comes where you just gotta go. And for me, that's a hard thing because I'm so worried about what people think of me and if people are uh, disappointed in me or people are wondering what's happening. And so like last week, I had a, had plans to go to the trampoline park on Friday with uh, some of my kids and then take some out for dinner later on that night. So I left the office at noon on Thursday. And like that was important for me because I was going to get in a whole day of not being able to see my wife. That usually is our day to spend time together. And I needed to get home and hang out with her, go see a movie on Thursday afternoon because that I like I needed to do the rest that I needed. But that is it's almost impossible to do that when you're wondering, oh, I hope everyone at the office isn't asking everybody where I am, what I'm doing, if I'm committed to this or not. And that is a microcosm of what I feel like it would it would be in any other context. You know, in, in work where your, uh, your output is more uh, definite, more important, more uh, just kind of... Concrete. Yeah, concrete and uh, quantifiable. And that's hard for me and Laura, I would assume, in this mm -hmm. crucible of what we produce is so dependent on how people how other people perceive the relationships we have with students For and sure. kids like it's not even about what they actually are and that's this hard thing of trying to figure out what you actually need to do to rest and what people want you to do to rest and what people perceive you need to rest from and what you actually know that you need to rest from if that makes sense i think that's why showing people uh leading people to rest is so important when i was on 
uh, my sabbatical, I started in Seattle and connected with a lot of people who worked in the tech industry. And at that time, it was just becoming super popular to um, have unlimited vacation. And every single person that I talked to who had unlimited vacation suggested that they never took it because they never felt safe to take it. And so the answer is not just let's give more vacation because if that's all it was, people would be taking it, but they weren't taking it. The answer is give more vacation and show people how to rest, allow them to rest. Don't just, don't just tell them they have it and they can get paid to not work, uh, but also create systems, uh, workplaces, environments that, that create that level of trust and that empower that level of trust that people can actually disconnect and come back to a job, not come back to a bunch of angry coworkers. Yeah. I have a friend who went on vacation with us over New Year's Eve. We went to visit our friend in med school in Florida. And it was, uh, one of the year when New Year's day was on a Thursday. And he flew back from Florida on New Year's Day a month after receiving unlimited vacation on, for the one Friday of work between New Year's Day and New Year's uh, in the second. So between that weekend, mm-hmm. because in an insurance company of five people, he didn't feel safe to take one day on the second of January to stay with his friends and to like recharge and to stay in the sun and get some vitamin D and like get back to work <laughs> in Michigan because he, because we don't have a proper relationship with what it looks like to just check out for a minute. Yeah. And that's so hard to do for everyone. I think. No doubt. Um, what, what do you guys do? What do we do together? What do you think that, um, what rhythms have you created even in the midst of like daily or weekly or monthly, um, or yearly, what rhythms have you created in your lives that have helped you be better at rest? And what things do you do? Those are probably things at the front of your head more <laughs> that make it hard. Um, on my sabbatical, I read a book. I read a lot of books. But um, one of the main books that I kind of just studied, chapter five in um, The Emotionally Healthy Leader, and it talked about four simple <laughs> simple, I say, uh, four pieces to to Sabbath. And um, for me, what was really hard to understand how to set aside a day for, for Sabbath is, I, you know, I talked about it earlier, it's what is the difference between a day off and, and Sabbath? And what is, rest is very different from a day off of work. Um, and so I, you know, four little pieces that he put in there. One, you, you stop your paid and unpaid work. And when I was taking Fridays off, it was like, oh, okay, Fridays off our grocery store, uh, make the meal prep, get the laundry done, make sure the house is picked up, get ready for whatever we're going to do tomorrow. Like it was just this list of to do's and it wasn't Sabbath. It wasn't rest. Um, that was my paid, my unpaid work that I was getting done. And so just trying to distinguish those things um, was really important for me to um, enjoy rest. So like maybe on that Friday I might sleep in, but most often I was probably waking up and going, okay, I got to have all of this stuff to get done before John gets home. And so there wasn't a lot of me time to like go and enjoy something I want to do or sleep in and, and be okay with that and not feel guilty about that. Um, the third thing was practice delight. And I was like, what the heck is that? And um, really it was just the question of what brings you joy and delight? Like what, what refills you? What replenishes you? What brings you joy? And I was realizing there was a lot of different things that, that 
I do that for some people, that's going to be work. And for me, that's rest. And just understanding what fills me is not going to be the same as what fills someone else. I, I talk to my students all the time about, you know, we do prayer stations twice a year and I do 10 different prayer stations. So over the course of my 10 years at Evergreen, we've done over 200 different ways to pray. And I tell them that's how unique our prayer life can be with God. The same is true with our Sabbath. Like all of us have unique ways that we're going to rest and we got to figure out how God speaks to our soul in that way to, to know how to rest. Um, the last piece was just to contemplate God. And uh, I'm almost embarrassed to say this, but because my job totally revolves around God and dissecting text. And I almost was like, oh, Sabbath is a day for me to rest from that. And, and really it's a day supposed to draw me closer to God. How sad is that? That was my break from doing my God stuff. Um, and so on this sabbatical, I really realized that I need to be intentional about how God is present in my day and what he has given me to delight and it might just be that when I'm out in the woods going for a walk, that my knees are in good shape to be able to walk. And like, that wasn't the case, you know, 10 years ago when I had surgery and, you know, just different things like that are a song that I hear that speaks to my soul and that God just refreshes me with a word in that song or, you know, just enjoying being with my family and the gift of family and being able to do life together with people, just different things like that, where, where God became very present in my day. It doesn't mean I don't read my Bible and study because I do. That's part of my Sabbath rest too. Um, but even that has been different, um, that I read the Bible for pleasure now. It's, uh, it's not when I'm on Sabbath rest, it's pleasure reading of the Bible. It's not dissecting the text, which has been really kind of fun as well. Yeah, this might be faulty, like, theology, but um, I often try to tell middle school kids, like, Sabbath isn't a day where you don't get to do anything. Sabbath is a day where you get to do anything. And, like, distinguishing those two things of, like... That's so good. Like, what like what do you want to do? Like, what makes you really happy? Like, what... Like, God isn't sitting here just pointing down and saying, I created this day for you to be miserable and watch <laughs> the Lions lose. <laughs> like, <laughs> I created this day so you can go to the beach and see the sunset so you can like play pickup basketball so you can go to the park and throw a frisbee around i created this day for us to like do the things that the rest of our lives while necessary don't allow us to do yeah i have experienced that in a in a real deep way this year this is the first year in seven years that on my day off, I've been allowed to ask that question. Because as a father of two girls, they're always home. So on my days off, I'm raising my children. And, and this is the first year where they've both been in school, and I can really ask that question fully. And um, one of the things that I think is important is trying to find ways to, to share that, specifically with my spouse, uh, because... She has Saturday and Sunday off, which is also when my kids are off of school and doesn't have that opportunity. And so one thing that we are trying to improve is how do we create opportunities for her to experience that as well? I'm lucky to experience that because I take Fridays off while they're in school. Um, but man, that is a tough thing for parents to find a way to focus on themselves when there is what feels like this huge mound of responsibility to care for our children, particularly when we're largely absent from their week by 40 hours a week because we're busy working. And so how do you balance work and being a father or being a mother? Uh, that, that can be really challenging. 
Yeah, I think a thing that I've has been helpful for me just in the context of being a ministry professional for four years and like gradually learning some things about that. Um, it sounds weird in the context of like rest, but I do this thing where I only check my email one time per day, like at 1030, because someone I heard somewhere don't check email first thing in the morning because then you get caught up in it. But at 1030, I go through my email, answer, do everything I got to do. And if there's something urgent and pressing, I'll check it again. But I generally leave it for the next day because if people can't, if people can't like accept 24 hours response time for you, if people, if you don't set the precedent that you're going to be available all the time, that gives you so much more freedom to be like, oh, okay, this is a rhythm for me and this is why I do this. And this is also present in other aspects of my life. Like if I'm, uh, if it's Saturday and I'm with my wife, I'm not going to answer a text from a parent saying, asking a question about the next Wednesday. Like if there's an email from someone in my inbox, I'm going to leave it till Monday. Like I'm not going to, I need to start setting precedents for people about what I do and hold my, take that seriously for myself and hold myself and other people accountable to give me that rest. That's one of the things that has really helped around our church and, and through our organization is we rest uh, largely together. Uh, our office is closed on Friday and Saturday. And uh, in the past, we've all kind of worked different hours and had different work days. And it becomes a lot easier to empower each other to rest when we're all trying to rest at the same time. And that's one thing that's worked uh, really well here at Evergreen as we try to create an, an organization, a church that um, goes beyond empowering people to produce, produce well, but to also rest well. What do you say to someone who is just terrified to not be producing something <laughs> or terrified to like not be on this track of I could oh I could be doing something right now. I could be crushing something. I could be doing incredible work. Like what do you say to someone who feels like at their peak as a human by their production whether that's real or not? What how do you convince someone that rest is important for them? Because I think a lot of people are helpful in encouraging other people to rest, but they are just like no, it's not me. Taking weekends isn't me. Taking uh taking vacation isn't me. Taking a sabbatical isn't me. Taking a holiday isn't me. Like, how do you, what do you, what would both of you say to convince people of that? You know, it's, it's interesting because I go back to even, you know, other simple principles of, of Christian traditions that we do or just um, tenets of our faith. But like, even look at tithing, just to jump into tithing. Like, I don't have money to do this, but when you do and step out in faith and trust that God flourishes and blesses your ability to trust him in that. And he will do that in in your ability to say, I'm going to give not maybe of your, your money, but now your time. And, you know, we talk about, um, our wealth is so, um, caught up in money, but what if our wealth was caught up in our time as well? And we were able to, um, you know, step out in faith in that. I mean, that was one of the things that Adam talked about was being able to trust, um, that God can allow him time to rest. Um, and it's, it's a, it's a leap of faith. When I think of working with someone who loves to accomplish, the first question you have to ask yourself is, is that, is that purely how you want to rest? Is that, is that life-giving to you? Or are you addicted to busy? Are you, is your busyness a status symbol for you? Is your busyness 
um, something that makes you feel uh, like you have greater self-worth? Um, or do you really just like to knock out a five-point to-do list on a day off that gives you more energy than you could by sitting on the couch and binge-watching Netflix like I like to do? <laughs> it's Yeah, that's a weird thing you said that because I think now, especially in college, busyness is such a status symbol. Like there's so many college kids, even me when I was in college doing stuff, like – I'm so busy. It's how are you? And then busy is the response. It be, has become the default response in and around college campuses that busy is the default to response to how are you? And it's this like people think that growing up is just becoming busier and busier until you lose your mind. <laughs> and we need to, we need to f- push back against that somehow. Like we need to allow s- s- college students, we need to allow young adults, we need to allow kids to say no to stuff. To say, maybe we take a semester off at the very—I mean, at the most drastic. Maybe we take t- three less credits. Maybe we cut back on hours at work because to create everlasting habits of only being comfortable being busy is probably not the move that you want to <laughs> enter into when you turn twenty-three, twenty-four, however old you are. When you're entering into your first profession career in figuring out what boundaries you're going to set for yourself which is exactly why i think it's important to to model great rest not just great production i think we could all think of if if we asked hey who who do you admire because of their their work we could probably all think of somebody but can we all off the top of our heads think of someone that we admire because of their rest and if not that's that's probably a problem that's probably an indicator of uh, how our culture values production over rest uh, in the need, in the space where we have a holistic need for both production and rest. Yeah, because you hear you hear so much of people talking about rest, like in articles and the Huff Post, whatever of um, like these studies showing how uh, more productive people are after rest. But like I don't. I don't think that's should be the goal, right? I don't think you should give people rest just so they can produce more, <laughs> right? I think you should give people rest because I believe we're all unique children of God who deserve to feel joy primarily. I mean, I don't think you have to feel that to or ha- that has to be your worldview in order to treat people as humans that have a diverse um like multitude of ideas about the world and activities and important stuff going on. Um but like how do you how do you think about that? Like, do you, do you think it's, it's just a weird, I don't want to be given rest just so I produce better after I rest. That, that gets exactly to the challenge of a sabbatical because everyone is asking, how does the organization, or in our case, how does the church benefit more from us financing your three months of rest. And I think you nailed it. I think we need to reframe that. I, I think that um, what a gift to give someone, right? What a, what a what a environment to create. It's an incredible environment and culture to create that says we value your production and we value healthy rest. And it ends there with no, now you should be better. Now you should be healthier. Now you should work more. Now you should, we should see some direct, uh, higher levels of, of output. Um, 
how do we get back to a space where we equally value healthy, whole, full, restful, and productive lives? Laura, so yeah. you did this. You did the things that we're talking about. You probably tried to do it well. You probably did it well a lot. You probably didn't do it well a lot. Um, tell us about it. Tell us about your sabbatical. What I, me and Adam were imagining, I remember sitting in his office talking about your first day on sabbatical, thinking that you were, did that whole like sit up in your bed at a right angle thing. <laughs> and we're just like, oh, no. Oh, no. What am I doing? <laughs> um, what did, like, I guess what did that first day or that first week look like for you? What did you do? How did you feel? What was going through your head? I said earlier that one of the things I did is I got up and I had my to-do list of things of how I was going to be more spiritual and connect with God during this sabbatical, which was get my Bible out. I was going to read. I was going to journal. I was going to pray and I was going to write notes to people and thank them. And, um, and I did that and it was really fun. But then I was like, this, this is also just checking off a to-do list of things to produce. And, um, I ended up going with my aunt, um, to see the Mr. Rogers movie that afternoon. <laughs> and, um, you know, I'm, I'm of the era of Mr. Rogers, unlike you, Kyle. Um, and so, you know, okay, wait, wait a minute, that, that is incorrect. I love Mr. Rogers. Okay, I just want right. to get that on record. <laughs> I am a Mr. Rogers guy. <laughs> so one of the things that really impressed me about this movie was that this man saw people in a way that I don't see people because I'm so that stupid word busy. Um, I don't see the needs that people have and I don't have the time to meet those needs. And, um, one of my dear friends, uh, was diagnosed with ovarian cancer. And because I had this time away, I got to pour a lot of time into just serving and walking alongside and being present um, with her family and with her and, and being able to um, just give her the care that she needed, meeting the needs that she needed. Um, and that was life-giving because I realized it didn't, this, this sabbatical wasn't necessarily all about me and what I wanted to do or got to do, um, but it was me learning learning things such as that. Uh, so the first day, right off the bat, I was smacked with, you get a chance to, to be for others. And um, that, was, that was really pretty phenomenal. Um, as I went through the course of my sabbatical, there were all those that, you know, I had the, the anxiety of the FOMO was really hard in the first couple of weeks. Like, ah, oh, my kids are hanging without me. And do they think Kyle and Michaeline are cooler than I am and I'm going to come back and they're not going to want me? And um, that was that was really where my identity being caught up in in uh, what I do was really evident to me and kind of uh, that that hit home and was kind of a reality check that, you know what, I, I trust the team that's there. And and if yeah, whatever happens when I get back is going to happen. But I had to let go of that, uh, that FOMO. Um, I got the opportunity to go to Israel um, for two weeks, which was phenomenal. Did someone else around this table get to go to Israel? Yep. Was it me or was it Adam? Oh, yeah, nope. that was me. Was, it, was the other guy invited or was he not? Oh, that's a good. Yeah. It was oops. me. I wasn't invited. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, you were. So sad. <laughs> it was awesome. Actually, um, Adam and Leah and my husband and I got to go with a group of pastors to Israel and just study for two weeks and see the land. And I think um, one of the things that I love about going to Israel, um, this is my third time. I've been really fortunate to get over there 
quite a few times. And I feel like the way I describe it is every time I go, I get another color for my, for my paint by number <laughs> of the, of, of Israel and, and more things come to light. And this, this time it was really the land and, um, understanding the topography and, and where things are located. It's kind of like when you're a driver for the first time and, and, and you don't know the roads and, and as you go along, you start to know where things are. And that's how I was starting to put Israel together. And, and I could, I could drive to, I could, you know, mentally picture where, how far away things were. And, um, and it made me come home and like open up my Bible. And I just started back at Genesis and I was like, I just want to run through and see based on the land where this stuff is happening. And it just made it, it kind of gave the Bible a little bit more of a a 4d sense, um, as, as I got to experience it, you know, I also got to go to passion and that was actually right before Israel. (laughs) We actually left from passion and went to Israel that same day. Um, but we got to ring in the new year at, at midnight singing Jesus' praises. And I have never been in a crowd of 65,000 people um, for a moment like that uh, that was so such a pinnacle of, of a moment. And um, that was beautiful and very meaningful as well. So, Adam, what you were in Israel with Laura. What did you, when you guys met up together to go to Israel and on your trip, how did you perceive Laura in the context of her sabbatical? Like, was it, could you tell that she was like in a different headspace? Could you tell that it was like um, hard for her to, you know what I mean? How did, explain that to me. Yeah, I, I think the challenging response is it was all of it. Like I, I could f- I could feel all of it. I, I did feel like I might have been the like, the embodiment of, work and <laughs> that 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 was a reminder of the FOMO she was feeling it was a reminder of the guilt she was feeling it was a reminder of the challenge of resting and disconnect she was feeling um so while she was maybe feeling some of those things i it was such a relief to just have some time to catch back up and to think like man there's so much personal connection relational connection in our professional work and so it's it's hard to be away from your people for three months and it felt like this just beautiful reconnect to spend some time together to share a really cool experience together and then as we left the airport uh going separate ways it was like hey i get to see you again in six weeks and i hope you have an amazing six weeks and i can't but i can't wait for you to be back and so it was it was a for me, uh, it was just a great experience to share that uh, personally and relationally together. Laura, do you think that trip kind of like bookended the first half and the second half of your sabbatical? Like, was it different coming back or was it easier to rest when you came back or what did it make it harder because you were with Adam a lot and you kind of like missed out on the evergreen staff relational piece of it or what was that like? For sure. The one I think that, you know, when I'm looking at kind of the, the bell curve that, that we talked about earlier, um, when I looked at passion was still slightly some of my work, you know, Michaeline was the one running that trip. Um, and she did a phenomenal job getting everyone down there and taking care of it. And I got to just go and experience. Um, but it was still me being present for my students, but it's so hard to, it's so hard to like not be that. That's impossible. And I was confused about why you said that, because it seems impossible for you to not be working when you're at a worship conference with all of your high school students. (laughs) Yeah, they, it was nice to be able to be present with them. These students are, are my older students, and we were able to have 
deeper conversations about what's God doing in you and what's, what are you learning and what am I learning? And it was a, it really was a learning experience and just something I got to do with them. Um, I didn't have to worry about the details, which is usually the part of my job that is, is a little more stressful. But, um, so, you know, passion was good because that was a filler for me. Passion every year is a filler for me. It refreshes me. I get new insight, new learnings. And, um, I just take, I walk away from that ready to go again. And so I didn't want to miss that. Um, especially with my seniors this year, they were graduating. So what are um, some, go ahead. What are some just other fun personal things you were doing over the last three months? I know that there were a lot of experiences that you had. Uh, Tell us a little bit about just what your life looked like over the last three months. Well, the day I started sabbatical, my son got engaged, which was phenomenal. Um, But I was like, hey, I was the bride three years ago, and now um, I'm going to be the mother of the groom. That's great. Um, So that was really fun. We did a lot of family gatherings. Um, I love to host at Christmas. My house is like a Christmas wonderland. And so we had a lot of that going on. We did um, a ski trip. Um, I spent time at Passion and in Israel. Um, And then, you know, one of the things that I really enjoyed, um, (laughs) which we didn't get enough snow this year, was just being out in nature. I love to hike and snowshoe and ski. And so that was really fun to be able to have a weekend to do that. I wish there was more time that I could have done that um but we just don't have the weather this year in Michigan um the other thing was uh, you know a part of Sabbath that was the contemplating God piece that I realized um was that God is a creator and I truly enjoyed just creating so we redid the front room that was Tyler's old bedroom and um I put this this wall art piece together and for some people would be like that seems like a ton of work and it was but that refreshed me so I you know creating was really fun I did a lot of different projects that was was fun to do on my sabbatical as well what was the last few weeks like what did you (laughs) when did you start to feel the either oh no or oh yay I get to go back to work again (laughs) and I'm sure there was both of those things and what was that like the oh yay was I get to be with my people again um we've been just checking out different churches and recognizing that I get to come back to my community, my family, and be able to worship together. Um, and just, I, I was so pumped for that. Um, the, oh no, <laughs> part of it was realizing what I had set myself up for stepping back into work. Um, I, this the next two weekends I'm gone. And so here I was, you know, talking all about Sabbath and learning about rest and trying to figure out how to put those healthy rhythms back into my work week. And, um, I have 20 days straight scheduled to work. And so the staff has been awesome and has helped, um, figure out how to find breaks so that I can continue to find rest in those weeks. Um, and so, yeah, it's just, it's a reorienting of how you think about your week and just protecting that, that, that time to get some rest. Kind of like what you said, you know, you, if you're going to work on a weekend, you got to find time during the week. And in this first week, I have to take Thursday off because I'm going to be gone all weekend. So, um, just, just understanding and, and recognizing that, you know, now that I've come back with all this newfound knowledge or whatever, um, I have to recognize too, that my, my people are not all on the same page with me yet. Right. And so that balance of, um, teaching and training and, and helping people join in what God calls us to. Um, so yeah, I mean, 
my my work itself, I'm just pumped to be back with my staff. I love being here at Evergreen. I love the job I get to do. Sunday night was amazing just being with my students. And um, it was a confirmation for me uh, that this is really what I'm called to do. I think that you touch on a space that's really challenging in reintegrating someone who has had time off. You know, you come back fully refreshed, wanting to acknowledge unhealthy rhythms of rest and want to encourage people towards healthier rhythms of rest. The problem is that the pers- that's not a shared perspective that you walk back into. And it becomes really challenging because you come into the office right after having three months off. The moment you complain that you feel overworked, <laughs> right? The response is like, well, what do you think we've been doing for the yeah, last three for months? Sure. And it, it, it becomes really challenging, but also really important to create a safe culture that you can acknowledge those challenges without feeling like you're going to get that response that says, I don't care how you feel. I don't care about your need for rest because you just got it the last three months and we did it. And so stop having those feelings, stop having those emotions. And we need to continue to check ourselves as, as friends, as colleagues, um, and as an, as an organization to say, how are we, how do we continue to empower people? How do even some slight, um, response, negative responses to the need for rest completely ruin three months of healthy development? And I think that's really, really important for me thinking through how, how do we reintegrate you into the space in a really healthy way? Laura, what do you, I know you're two days into being back, but <laughs> what, <laughs> what, um, like what rhythms from your sabbatical did you not have without your sabbatical before uh, December 1 that you are t- going to try to take into this new season of post-sabbatical life? I think one of the hardest things is, um, you know, John and I, the only day that we really have off together is Saturday because he works Monday through Friday and I work Sunday through Thursday. Um, and so it was trying to figure out how we do this together. Like that, I think that's one of the things you don't have to do Sabbath rest alone. Um, for families, figure out ways to, to incorporate your family to do rest together. Um, the Jews do it really well, <laughs> sundown on Friday to sundown on Saturday. And honestly, that was what John and I decided, like that needed to be our time because I'm doing all the unpaid work on Friday and that really wasn't a day of rest. That was my unpaid work day. <laughs> and so um, really finding a way to protect that and, um, you know, putting boundaries in place for that. And, and then recognizing too that life does happen and that might have to switch. And you have to be flexible in knowing that that might not happen on a Saturday for us, and this week it's going to be separate for us. Well, thank you, Laura, for talking about your sabbatical. Thank you, Adam, for joining me in this room for a few minutes. Uh, That's about it for us here. Uh, We hope uh, you enjoyed it. Uh, Until next time, for Adam and Laura, my name is Kyle, and thanks for listening. We will see you next time. 